Amen. Well, I asked my five-year-old the other day, what would happen if we never taught him to obey? And I was so curious to see what he might say in response, being a five-year-old boy. And he immediately had an answer to the question. He said, if you had never taught me to obey, Mom, I would probably stick my face into a cake. <laughs> and then he went on to explain this apparently scenario that he wishes he could engage in. I don't know. He said he would pull his face out of the cake, and then he would start licking off his face. And then there might be other people trying to lick his face as well. And I thought, oh, okay, I'm glad I've taught you to obey then, I guess, because I, that sounds like kind of an interesting scenario. But uh, I asked my older children as well the same question, and they just had one word that they thought would kind of explain them. They said, if you haven't taught us to obey, Mom, I think we would probably just be brats. That was the term that they used, and I said, that's interesting. They thought, you know what? If, if I never learned to obey you, I would probably just be a brat. And I'm thinking, you probably would, sweetie. <laughs> I love you so much, but that's probably true. And you know what? It doesn't take uh, very long or far for us to look in this age and in this day to see that parenting and the teaching of children to obey the authorities that God's given them in their home, that's really kind of gone by the wayside. Uh, there's a lot of examples, maybe as you've been out in the world seeing some of the different parenting techniques and ideas that have come up within the last few years about letting, you know, children make their own decisions, letting them decide, making sure they feel all their feelings, doing whatever they want, asking them, you know, how they would like things to be. And so we need to see that God's word gives us direction as parents for how we are to bring up our children. And we need to make sure as well that we teach the next generation godly obedience as we see in our passage today. So if you haven't turned to Colossians 3, Colossians 3 verse 20, we're going to look at verses 20 and 21 this morning and see how important it is that we teach the generation, the little ones in our midst, how to obey God and honor him just as he intends them to do. If you remember back a few weeks ago, we studied in the beginning of Colossians 3 the things that we're supposed to put off and not do anymore, but more importantly, the things that we're supposed to put on, kind of that clothing that we wear as we are a new identity in Christ. We saw things like compassion, love, kindness, humility. And really, as we are a Christian, as we are a new creation in Christ, these are the, the things that we should wear. And then we started to look at some of the relationships that will be affected by the fact that we are a new creation in Christ. Last week was our first set of relationships, the most important, between husband and wife. And this week, we're going to look at children and parents. And then the next week, we're going to look at a boss and a worker. And so we can see how this new creation, this new identity, really affects all of our relationships as we live out this stuff that we have put on being new in Christ. Well, let's look at our text this morning and unpack it as we figure out God's direction for godly parents and what that looks like in our own life. It says this in verse 20. Verse 20 says, children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. Fathers, Verse 21, do not provoke your children lest they become discouraged. While Paul is encouraging parents to teach children obedience, and he's encouraging children to listen up and to obey their parents in all things. So let's write that down for point number one. Point number one is that we should teach children to obey their parents. Teach children to obey their parents. And I've written it that way for a reason. If you are a grandma in here, yes, we need you to help children obey their parents. If you are an aunt, if you're the fun aunt, right, we need you involved in this. Please, I ask you, right, having four children of my own, if you're a babysitter, if you work in kidsmen, if you're a teacher, whatever it might be, 
We need to be united as Christians in teaching children, this generation, to obey the authorities that God has put in their life, parents being the first and top authority. Well, children in this text refers to anyone in the home still, anyone under the authority of the parents. So it doesn't just refer to little ones and babies, but that would definitely include, you know, your preteen girl or your teenage boy, whatever it might be, anyone living underneath your roof. That's what Paul is talking about here. They should follow their parents' instructions. And the word obedience, the word obedience in this text is actually a stronger word than the word submit that we see in the previous verses about husbands and wives. It's a stronger Greek word, and it means to give a command or establish a rule or directive and have that person follow it. It's like order given, and the, the requirement is that it is followed immediately right away. And so we see this strong word that parents are supposed to be teaching children to obey, which means that they are the ones in charge. They establish the rules, the routines. They tell them what they should do or should not do. They require them to eat their vegetables, right? Or do their homework or get off the screen. And so we can see that this word obedience means that a parent's job is to establish what they want and the child's job is to respond to that, to respond to it faithfully each time. Because we know it's each time because of the word in everything, in everything, right? Children are to obey their parents in everything, in all of the things that they have established in the home, which of course, being a parent in the room, this puts a little bit of pressure on me, right? What are the things I'm asking my children to do? They are required by this text here to follow me. So it makes me ask the question, what have I established? What am I telling them to do? What am I asking them? What are the rules I've set up? Because they are now held accountable to obey me in all things. Now, I guess the one um, exception we would find in Acts, Acts 5.29. Acts 5.29, we see that Peter says in a different text that we must obey God rather than men. So if a parent were to establish or give a command or a directive to a child, you know, that would say something against God's command or the Bible, right, then that would be the only time that they would not obey their parents because they would need to obey God's word, God's law, above men. Well, we see as well in this text that this type of obedience between parents and children, it pleases the Lord. It's the Christian duty, it's the responsibility of the Christian parent to set up their home in a way that honors God with this type of obedience. Parents are the authorities in the home, right? And we see this all throughout scripture. We see this in Ephesians 6, Ephesians 6, 1 and 2, a very similar kind of parallel passage to our text. Ephesians 6, 1 and 2 says this, children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Can I get an amen right there? <laughs> Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. And we see it as well in Exodus 20, verse 12, in the Ten Commandments, the same idea that honor your father and mother, that your days may be long in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. We even see that these passages show that there is a blessing, there is good that comes with this type of obedience. Now, I don't know if you've ever been out and about and witnessed uh, a parent maybe striving to get their child to obey and, you know, kind of witness this in your own life. But I was at the grocery store the other day unloading all of my stuff onto the conveyor belt, and I couldn't help but tune in to a conversation right behind me. Well, this mother was on her phone, and she was trying to get her son, about a two-year-old boy, to come back to her. And, um, of course, with this passage on my mind, I started thinking about what type of obedience she was teaching her child. Because this is how it went. James, come here. James, come here. James, come here. James, come here. James, stop doing that. James, 
So I started to count James's name, actually. I couldn't help it. I was unloading and multitasking, I guess, and I started. And by the time I finished, and I didn't count right away, it was 18 different commands. 18 different times James was told to come. And you know what? She, James only came when she stomped over to him, grabbed him, and pulled him back. And so I thought, what is James? What is little cute James learning? He's got 18 times, right? I mean, if he's doing something he likes and his mother is calling him over, he has at least 18 times where his name is going to be said before he needs to obey. Right? We might laugh and kind of be shocked at that, but that even got me thinking as a parent, do I give two or three? And is, is that even much better? Right? Maybe it's not 18, but how many times do I say it before I expect obedience? Because this text would say, children, obey your parents in everything, right away, right then and there. And I know we know how easy it is to capitulate to our children, to give in, to do different tactics to get them to obey. And so I want to bring up four that I think I've seen a lot and I have as well done unfortunately, in my own home with my own children. The first one would be letting our children decide. You know, let's just take the example of we're at a park and it's time to go. And you know the baby needs a nap, you've got to get dinner on, or it's time to do homework. You know the schedule, you know what's coming, right? And you say, it's time to leave. We've been here, it's been great. And so we, though, may be tempted to just give, uh, to just let them decide. Do you want to go? Are you guys ready to go yet? No, they're never ready to go. Let me tell you, if they're doing something fun and they have to stop, they don't want to stop. You know, even phrasing it that way, are you ready to go? And then I think, why did I ask it that way? Should have said, it's time to go. Grab your things, let's go, right? But then, no, we don't want to go five more minutes, one more slide, I didn't get to swing, whatever that might be. And we kind of, okay, fine, and oh, now we're, now we're behind on our time, now we're starting to get a little stressed out. So. It's tempting to let them decide, let them take control. Or maybe we uh, just give in to their manipulative tactics. And I have four different children with four different manipulative tactics. I mean, some will throw the full-blown fit to get what they want, right? Rolling on the ground. I remember thinking before I was a parent that they would never do that. My children will never throw a fit in Target, right? God humbled me later, of course. But Sometimes they just give you the pouty face, please, or sometimes they give you the cold shoulder, and we're tempted to give in. Okay, especially when they're loud, you know what, just if you'll be quiet, quiet down, you know, you can have another donut at the church table, or quiet, stop, if you stop crying, I'll get you that toy, right? We are tempted just, okay, fine. And what are our children learning? If they throw a fit, they get what they want. Or maybe we've used bribing, right? You know what, if you come, if we leave from the park right now, I'll give you a cookie when we get home. Remember that cookie that you wanted? I'll give it to you. Or here's a lollipop if you just listen to mom. Or if you come with me to the store, I know you don't wanna go to the store, honey, but I'll let you pick out a Hot Wheels car. Right, we tend to want to bribe them instead of saying you're coming or we're leaving and you need to obey mom. Mom is in charge one of my favorite things to say. Mom is in charge, and your job is to obey me. I say that very often to my children. We might also have a child who's maybe a, a good lawyer. That, you know, they're going to grow up and, you know, be a lawyer someday. I mean, I have one who seems to just use logic and reasoning. You know, they've, they've wised up. You know, Mom, exercise is good for children. We shouldn't leave the park, right? Because I need to sweat and so, you know, if we just did 10 more minutes or, you know what, mom, it, it would be really be better we didn't go to the park yesterday. So if we stay double today, that makes up for, you know, and I'm thinking, wow, this child's really thinking, you know, and it's not that we can never engage in a conversation or hear them out. Of course, we want to, especially as they grow up, you know, we want to hear them out. But when we said it's time to go, it's time to go. We're not going to engage in some debate back and forth to get them to do what we would like them to do because we don't want to see them calling the shots. We are the authority established in our home, and we need to be the ones to say, this is what we're doing, 
and you need to obey. That's what God's word says. Many of us would agree that that's the goal and direction for biblical parenting, for Christian parenting. Um, and we would want that, and we would aim for that. And so we're going to look at a few ways that we can help instruct our children to do this better. Um, but I want to share one thing that we say in the home that kind of helps us fully explain to our kids what we expect when we're talking about obedience, kind of in kid language. We tend to say to our children, we want you to do this right away, all the way, and with a happy heart. That's our goal. When we're talking about obedience with our kids, we're saying, kids, we want you to do this right away, immediately, not one more minute, not when you finish that thing you're doing. We want you to be able to say, I'm going to stop and do that right now. And then all the way, right? Some maybe struggle with this more than others. If I ask you to do your homework, it's 100%, not 90. Not like you've almost finished, right? And with a happy heart, maybe the hardest one, the rolling of the eyes, the stomping of the feet, the growling, the frustration, whatever it might be that they show that they don't like this command that they make. They don't like, they don't want to do it. We say that this is our goal. We want you to have a good attitude in the way you respond to what we've said because this honors the Lord. Honor your father and mother, it says. And so that is our goal with them. So how do we train them then to obey us? Well, I think there are two ways or two areas, kind of two big buckets, I should say, of how we can help our children learn this obedience. And um, Pastor Mike likes to use the two terms, correct and direct. And we see this in Ephesians 6, verse 4, where it says that children are to um, be trained in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. The discipline, the correction, and the instruction, the direction of the Lord. And so I want to unpack what it means to correct, to correct our kids in a godly way when they disobey. Because we know that every time we give an instruction, it's not that they happily do it every single time. One way that they learn to obey us is by providing correction, faithful correction when they have disobeyed. Following through so that they see that that choice was not right and they need to make a different choice next time. Well, I'm going to take you to a variety of Proverbs that help just clearly and succinctly teach us and help us to understand what it means to correct our children in a way that pleases the Lord. And you know what? I would suggest memorizing these, put, putting them around your house if you can, putting this on your mind because really God will bring this up to you when you are tempted to not follow through with correction because it is hard. It takes work and it takes eyes to pay attention and it takes commitment and constancy as we depend on the Lord to teach our kids. So the first proverb is Proverbs 3, verse 11 and 12. Proverbs 3, 11 and 12, it says this. My son, do not despise the Lord's discipline or be weary of his reproof. For the Lord reproves him whom he loves as a father, the son in whom he delights. And I think one principle we can pull from this proverb is that when we provide correction for disobedience, we need to make sure we give a clear reproof. Now, we don't use that word very often, but basically what it means is we need to tell our kids what they've done wrong. I learned that by doing it, you know, maybe forgetting that when they're young and, you know, you're going to get a consequence for that. Do you know what you're getting a consequence for? And the little guy goes, you know, they have no idea. Well, that's not going to be very helpful to them in learning godly obedience if we don't say, this is what you did wrong. You didn't obey me right away. You went and played or you did something different or what you tried to hide, whatever it might be. So we need to make sure we provide our children a clear reproof. This is the thing that you're getting a consequence for. Well, this passage also helps us to understand the uh, motivation and the spirit in which we provide this discipline, this correction, we can see that it says that the Lord reproves him whom he loves. This sort of correction needs to be done in love. 
not in anger. And I know that maybe for some of us in the room, we have received correction maybe as a child that was done in anger, in the wrong way, not with a loving approach, not in a gentle manner, but we can see in this text that if it's done in anger, then that's not how God would want us to approach our children. We need to make sure we are loving, we are gentle, we are calm, we are not angry or huffed up and puffed up, and if we are feeling that way, a stepping away from the situation and being prayerful before we follow through with this correction is going to be very wise as we can make sure we approach our children in love as we bring them correction. Well, the next proverb is Proverbs 29, 17. Proverbs 29, 17 says this, Discipline your son and he will give you rest. He will give you delight to your heart. I just love this because it's so clear. Discipline your son. It's hard for us to say, I'm not sure that I need to do this, when it's spoken that obviously, that's straightforward. Discipline, do it. You need to do this. This is important. If you are a parent in the room, this is part of our job in helping our children learn to obey us. We need to be faithful to discipline our children, to provide this correction when they have sinned, when they have disobeyed us, we need to follow through. Well, Proverbs 29, 15 is another proverb. Proverbs 29, 15 says this. The rod and reproof give wisdom, but a child left to himself brings shame to his mother. The rod and reproof give wisdom. What is our goal in providing this correction? Wisdom. We want to teach our children the right path. We want to put them on the path that would be honoring to God, that would bring them blessing, that would help them to make the right choices. This rod and reproof, this brings them wisdom. Otherwise, they're going to be a shame to their mother. We're dedicated to do this for their good. We are motivated to get up off the couch or to, you know, turn away from what we're doing and follow through with this because we see that this is to provide them wisdom and godly direction in their life. Proverbs 13, 24, and Proverbs 22, 15. Proverbs 13, 24, and 22, 15, they say this. 13, 24 says, Whoever spares the rod hates his son. But he who loves him is diligent to discipline him. And Proverbs 22, 15 says this. Folly is bound up in the heart of a child, but the rod of discipline drives it far from him. We see this word rod used in both of these Proverbs. And I don't know what comes to mind when you hear that term, but it's helpful to understand what it means because it's not some metal rebar or something. I, that's what I picture when I hear this. I mean, I, my dad was a contractor. Maybe that's why. But no, the rod is not anything like that, not some weapon. It was a tool, actually, used for uh, a shepherd a shepherd would have this on their side, have this with them, in guiding the sheep. And it was this tool, this, you know, small wooden kind of stick that would help to bring the sheep back onto the path. Right? But sheep are going to wander off. They're going to go the wrong direction. And so this tap on the sheep would, oh, oh, let me get back on the straight and narrow here. Or we also see this word rod being used in the Bible to talk about, you know, something in the kitchen where we're like grinding up different cumin and different things and seasoning. So often we hear that rod is kind of like a, a wooden spoon we might picture nowadays, right? This rod is to be used, as we see this in multiple Proverbs, to provide correction. And, and this rod, in the application of it, it says it will drive folly far from them. We know that children naturally choose folly, some more than others. Right? That is, they have this desire to do the wrong thing. I know this because my children will do things and I have never shown them that. You know, they'll do some sort of, I'm like, where did they learn that? Not from me, but you know what? That was folly bound up in their own hearts, right? And so this, what we see in this text is that the rod, that painful consequence 
right? There needs to be some pain involved because that's what teaches them, I should not do that again, right? Whether that's a flick on the mouth when a baby is nursing and they tend to bite down, ouch, flick, ooh, I shouldn't do that again, to, you know what, I disobeyed my mom and I didn't follow through with what she asked and there's a consequence and that's painful. I don't want that to happen again. I better obey her next time. In Pastor Mike's book, Raising Men, Not Boys, he says this, our parental job of providing unpleasant consequences for bad behavior is a loving action that moves beyond word to real life penalties. You can see that this quick, painful swat will redirect our child back on the right path. And of course, always motivated by love for them, as we see in all of these Proverbs that come up again and again. Biblical love will help us to get up and to deal with the disobedience in our home. And of course, this would also include other consequences. Right now, there are children in my home who losing out on their dessert would be more detrimental than a a rod of correction on their bottom, right? Or a lack of a game, you know, video game time, that would be devastating to them. And so we can see as children grow and change, we can find out what would be a painful consequence. What do they really want? That's probably a good thing to take away. So timeouts or loss of privileges, those sort of things would help them to, to get back on the path that God has laid out for them in obeying their parents. The last proverb to end with is Proverbs 22.6. Proverbs 22.6 says this. Train up a child in the way he should go. Even when he is old, he will not depart from it. Now, this is not a promise that if you train up a child, then they will 100% of the time, but this is a godly principle that we see. As we put in this effort to train, to correct, and to direct as we're going to see, then they will choose that right and good path. They will follow that even when they are old, even when they are grown and out of the house and on their own, which is what we want. Well, the second side of the coin of correction is direction. You know, discipline and instructions we see in Ephesians 6. We need to make sure we're also providing direction to our children. If we desire to do what Colossians 3.20 is telling us, then we should not only discipline, but we should also tell them the right sort of things. And where do we go for this? We go right into God's word. We need to make sure we are teaching our children what the Bible says. So Deuteronomy 6.6, Deuteronomy 6.6 is a great passage to help us see how often and how thoroughly we should do this in our own homes. And if you're a grandma, do this in your home, right? If you're an aunt, if you're a babysitter in my home, do this as well. I would love it. The more people that can influence the children in our church, the children we interact with, and point them to God's word, the better. So we can team up on this, even if you don't have your own children in your home right now. Deuteronomy 6.6 says this, And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. We are to talk of God's word wherever we go in whatever scenario we find ourselves in all throughout our day. Now, you don't have to put scripture on your gate, right? It's not, you know, like literally you have to put all those things in those exact places. All those scripture around your house would be great. But this idea is just that we are talking about it in whatever situation we are in. God's word is on our mind. And so we share it with our children. We teach them because let me tell you, having children in this time of life, the messages that they are receiving from the world often are not lining up with God's word and God's truth. And so we need to make sure that we are the ones talking about this. I know we have a lot to teach them. I remember saying to one of my friends, I can't believe how many things there are you have to teach your kid. You know, like everything. You have to teach them everything. They don't know how to blow their nose. 
You know, you hand them a tissue and they don't even know how to blow their nose or tie their shoe or put their clothes on or use a fork or walk. I mean, they just like don't know anything, which makes sense, but there's just constant lessons all the time. And we're faithful to do that. We want them to walk and eat and use a napkin and all those things. We need to make sure we're faithful to teach them God's word. Not just to say when you're at church, this is where you learn God's word, but that we do it in our own homes and in our cars and in our conversations. Yes, of course, church is a great place. There's this kids ministry here and the youth ministry here is amazing. And the conversations that I can have with my children right after they come out of their time at church, it's, it's amazing. And I think that's one thing that we can do maybe a little bit better to capitalize on the church teaching here is interact with that. What did you learn? Not did you have fun? So easy to say, oh, did you have a fun time at Edge tonight? It's great. Okay, next. Instead, what did you learn? What was the sermon about? How, what did you think about? Was that interesting to you? How do you think you, it applies? How are you doing in that area? And now we're having this amazing discussion about God's word. Well, we also need to be reading our Bible and discussing it with our children and using devotionals and the, the books that are in the bookstore to teach them and train them. But I think one area that we need to make sure we're also focusing on is bringing in what the world's messages are saying and saying, what does the Bible say about that? I mean, I've had to say, unfortunately, to my children who've asked me, why is that man wearing makeup? Right? Mom, why is that man wearing makeup? It's a sad thing that there is a man wearing makeup, but what did we say? Uh, I don't you know, did I, oh, I don't know, honey, that's weird, huh? Okay, next. No, I mean, I'm not ready for this conversation. No. Hey, what do you think the Bible says about that? It, does the Bible say anything about men? wearing makeup or women's clothes it does let's look at this what do you think god wants from men should they dress as men and women to dress as women and now we're having this full discussion always being brought back to god's word you know even as we put on a what i thought was a harmless disney show disney movie that came on we were sitting down with our family and within a few minutes just pause and I'll, we had this amazing discussion because the question was asked to our children, our four children, 12, 10, 8, and 5, what is the message? That's all we said. What do you think the message of this is? Uh, do what you want. Be who you are. Do, you know, be you. Be the best you. Live your best life. I mean, they, we were talking about this message in this Disney movie, and then we pulled it back to Scripture. Well, what does scripture say about doing whatever you want? Is that how we're supposed to live? So as we see these things come up in our life, as these children that we are shepherding and teaching and instructing, we need to make sure we interact with what the world's messages are saying. And if we don't know the answer, we'll look it up. We ask for help. We phone a friend in here, our women's Bible study teacher, and say, hey, you know, my, my, my kid asked me this question. I don't know the answer. Do you have any Biblical advice for that? We need to be teaching and directing our children so that they know what God wants of them and we can help point them on that path to provide them both the correction and direction that is involved in teaching them to obey us as the authority. Well, it's important that we do this, but it is also important that we look at what verse 21 says to us as it gives us a warning something to be careful about in the way that we bring children up in our homes. So let's look at verse 20 and 21, our passage again in Colossians 3. It says this, Children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. Fathers, do not provoke your children, lest they become discouraged. Well, the Greek word for fathers, pateras, it can actually refer to both father and mother. So we see this word used in Hebrews 11.23. Hebrews 11.23 says this, By faith, Moses, when he was born, was hidden for three months by his parents. So we see that 
same Greek word translated to parents. Here we see it, fathers in our text might have been translated fathers because fathers are the head of the household, right? Ultimately responsible for the rearing up of children. But we know that it doesn't just talk about fathers doing this, giving this warning to just fathers. It's both parents. Because we see children are supposed to listen to both mother and father. We see that in Proverbs 1.8 and Proverbs 6.20 that both say children are to... Um, Listen to both their father's teaching and their mother's instruction. So we know as parents that both mother and father are tempted, possibly, to do what this verse says and to uh, not heed the warning given. And so we need to make sure as a, as a mom or as a babysitter or as a teacher in kidsmen or as a grandma that we are not provoking our children and so let's write this down for point number two. Point number two says we need to overcome the temptation to be harsh with children. Overcome the temptation to be harsh with children. Both mothers and fathers need to be careful that there is a real temptation to approach our authority in a way that would be harmful to the children that we are teaching and instructing. This word provoke means to stir up. So this, this term can actually be used in a positive way and it can be used in a negative way like our text. So stir up is one way to kind of define this term. We see it in 2 Corinthians 9.2. 2 Corinthians 9.2, it's used in a positive way. It says that your zeal has stirred up most of them. So we can see that this word provoke could be a good thing. You know, your passion for the Lord, it like really got them going. You know, oh, wow, you're on fire. And that woman as well, she's stirred up to do a good thing. But in our text, we see this as a warning. Do not stir them up unnecessarily. So what does that word stir up mean? Studying the term in Greek, we can see that in the negative sense, it's used as, as or it can be defined as irritate or exasperate or become bitter or frustrated. So we need to make sure that we're not using our power in a way that stirs up children unnecessarily. That we're not harsh in our approach. Now, I have to point out a distinction here because we could be tempted to think Wow, my child seems stirs up every time I give them a command. <laughs> I've got a toddler in my home, and I tell him to pick up his toys, and he's he seems pretty exasperated. He seems pretty frustrated at that command. Well, we, we know from the previous verse, verse 20, it's not talking about when we say an instruction to our child and they're frustrated in response. Because the text that we just looked at, it says very clearly, children obey your parents. So what's the child's responsibility? To obey. So if, if your child is stirred up, seems frustrated because you've told them to do something that they just don't want to do, that's not what this verse is talking about. This verse is talking about stirring them up unnecessarily in the way we approach them, in the way we have this authority over them. And I think it can be helpful for me to break it down and kind of define it in five different temptations or categories where we may be tempted to be harsh in the way we wield our power over them. Because ultimately, we don't want to see our children discouraged, as this verse says. Discouraged means like dispirited or downtrodden. Basically, it's the idea that if we are harsh, that they'll give up trying. They don't want to keep going. They don't want to try to obey anymore. They're just deflated in trying to please us and trying to obey us. And so we want to make sure that in the way we approach them, that we are good parents, good grandparents, good teachers, good babysitters, and that we're not kind of sliding into some of these categories. So the first category is to approach our children in anger. Now, we talked about that a little bit in point one, but if we give these instructions or correction, that discipline, in an angry way, that is going to unnecessarily stir them up and frustrate them. If we yell or grab them, 
or even the tone of our voice just shows them that they are, I mean, oh, they've really had it with them, right? We know that even a tone could really unnecessarily stir them up in a way that could be harmful in the way we approach them, especially if we're coming for a correction. So we need to make sure that we're motivated in love, that we have a loving approach, we have a calm voice and a calm body, and that we do not exasperate or make them bitter or frustrated because we are unloving. We need to also make sure that we don't hold a grudge. I think when we talk about anger, sometimes our children can really upset us, say something hurtful or, or, or anger us, and we do not want to make sure we want to make sure that we do not hold a grudge against our children and make them pay and wonder what the relationship is like. Am I, is, is mom okay with me? That would definitely cause them to be discouraged. Well, the second area that we can be tempted to be harsh with our children is by being inconsistent. By being inconsistent. We know we need to provide this discipline and we need to be faithful and consistent in doing it. And it's too easy to be inconsistent, which will be very confusing for a child. If they do this one day and they get away with it and no problem, you know, you just, you don't seem to even pay attention. Oh, okay, it must be fine if I do that. Well, then the very next day or next hour, they do the same thing and you fly off the handle. What are you, you know, and all of a sudden some big reaction, they never know what kind of mom they're going to get. Am I allowed to do this or am I not allowed to do this? You can see how being inconsistent in your following through with your consequences or what you've asked them to do would be very confusing and frustrating for a child. We want to make sure that we are consistent. We, we also want to be careful that we're not one parent at home and then another parent in public. Wow, when we go in public, I mean, she's really on it. I can't do anything. At home, she lets me get away with this. That would also be very frustrating for a child as well. There needs to be clear consequences. And even when we're tired, and even when we're feeling lazy, and even when we're cutting up chicken for dinner, and it's all over our hands, and it means we have to wash it off. We're just trying to get dinner made for six people. We still have to set that aside and say, I need to be consistent so that I don't unnecessarily frustrate them. Okay, the third, the third category or temptation would be that we have unrealistic expectations for our children. Unrealistic expectations. Too many rules. Everything in their life is mediated by rules. Every situation is planned out. Pastor Mike's book, again, Raising Men, Not Boys, I would highly suggest it if you haven't read it, even if you have a girl. Pastor Mike says this, we are firm believers in making as few rules as possible. It is precisely because we want the rules in our home to be kept that we are careful not to overload the children with too many of them. Instead, we have found it helpful to legislate a few big rules and then work to be consistent about enforcing them. Don't load your kids up with a ton of little rules about every situation they might possibly find themselves in. Every little detail, every little thing, you can't do this, you can't do this, that would probably irritate a child. You have to think of every scenario and work it out. And what, what did she say about this? Pastor Mike's suggestion is to have big rules and enforce those big rules and be faithful and consistent. Another way we could have unrealistic expectations is if we just expect too much of our child. Sometimes we might fall into that because we are comparing them with a sibling who has maybe different strengths or is multiple years older. And so that would provide something that would cause frustration as a kid if we're saying, why aren't you like Susie? You know, Susie's got this, right? That might probably unnecessarily stir them up and frustrate them or if we're expecting them to be like us. Why aren't you more like me? I've got this. I, I did that as a kid. I was athletic, or I did that. Whatever it might be, we need to make sure that we don't have unrealistic expectations for our children. The fourth category is that we need to be careful of our criticism. Criticism is one way we could be harsh with our children. Words have power. They stick with us. We know, we, you know, we've heard the thing, sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me. That's wrong. 
Words stay. There are words said to me 30 years ago that still can come into my mind. And so we need to be careful that we're not harsh and critical and nitpicky about every little wrong. I mean, when they come home with that math test and they got a 96% and you know they worked hard and you studied with them, do we focus in on the, well, you missed the one. What happened there? How come you didn't get, I thought you knew fractions. I thought you had it, you know? Do we point out the one failure? It's so easy. It's so easy for us to see the one spot they missed when they've done other things so well. But that could be quite discouraging as a child trying to please their parents if we're always critical and nitpicking every little thing they've done wrong. I think sarcasm can also do this sometimes because we bring in a truth and we kind of make light or make fun of them. And if it's their expense, that can be very hurtful to them. Feel very critical of them as you're kind of laughing over or, you know, pretending it's a joke, but you're really getting a jab in at your child. We need to be careful that we're not too sarcastic in bringing up especially their negatives or their struggles or weaknesses, and also that we're not critical when we talk to other people about our children. I mean, I know it's a temptation, you know, to talk about the negatives always and be picky, and then they may even overhear. Think about overhearing your mom tell her best friend about how you did this and that, you're terrible this, and you know. That can definitely cause them to be discouraged in obeying us when we are critical with them. We need to be careful with our words. And the last category will help us to see, you know, a, a direction of positive. I guess I've written it as a negative, but I'm going to highlight the positive. So the fifth category is if we have a lack of encouragement. One way that we could be harsh with our children and cause them possibly to be discouraged is by having a lack of encouragement. If we're harsh with them, we, we may forget to praise them, to encourage them. I know words of encouragement to me, oh, it's like I'm ready to go. Someone says, wow, that was so great, or you did this well, or thank you so much, and this is what I, that spurs me on, Right? Even a kind word from a kid after a long day, mom, thanks so much for dinner. You're like, okay, I can make dinner tomorrow. Thank you. <laughs> you know, I mean, we can get kind of weary. And that one phrase, that one word, that one kind encouragement, do we encourage our kids as much as we discourage or discipline? I mean, I know we have to correct them. That's our job. We've been told we need to have them obey us. Do we reward and encourage and praise them? You know, I'm going to tell dad when he gets home about your attitude picking up your toys. They've been struggling. You know that. You've been working on it. You've been disciplining them for it. And they just did it with a happy attitude, singing a little song. And you can say, I'm going to tell dad. Let's call grandma. Grandma would love to hear how you picked up your toys, you know. Grandma, guess what? He just did. That is so motivating for our young children to make sure that they See that they're working, they're growing, they're doing something that would please us. We need to make sure we reward and encourage as much as we have to do some of the negatives. We need to make sure we are kind and generous with our praise, pushing them on, providing them with good things as we see them doing these good things and implementing the things we have taught them because that spurs them on. And if we have a lack of encouragement, that could definitely cause them to be discouraged, right? Like our verse says, the children will become discouraged. Well, if we want to do the opposite, the antonym of that, we need to make sure our home is flooded with encouragement. Well, the temptation is there for all of us to be harsh with our children. Even if we don't have our own in our own home, the way we interact with the children in our lives, we need to be careful that we're doing it in a way that would cause them not to be provoked, as our passage says. No matter your age or where you are as a friend, as an aunt, as a grandparent, as a parent in here, we need to make sure that we do our best to help Christian parents who are striving to please God to teach this kind of obedience. We can point them in that direction. We can encourage them. We can pray for them. We can support. And we can make sure that we are on board as a Christian community seeing godly parents bring up 
their children in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. And what motivation it is for me thinking about and really being committed to this obedience in my home. I was thinking about the fact that I desire more than anything my four children would know God someday, right? That they would someday, we know in the Christian life, submit their lives to Christ. That they would say, you know what, God? I will obey you. I, I turn everything over. You're in charge. You're the Lord of my life. And all the groundwork that I am doing to teach my children obedience, oh, that's all part of it. If they can learn to obey us as parents, don't you think that's going to help them one day say to the Lord of the universe, I will obey you. And that is what we want. And that is a great motivation as we end this text. So let's pray. God, I do ask for your grace and help to do this. It is so hard, God. I uh, thank you for the ways that you have taught me and convicted me in this text because it is something that I am committed to, and yet, God, I, I know it's tough. It's hard to be faithful and consistent, and yet, God, we want to please you as parents. We want you and your word to be the thing that we follow and that we commit to in our home. So we, we uh, ask that you would help us to do that, recognizing that you've given us the Holy Spirit as new creations in Christ to do this. And you've given us this body of believers, women who were side by side with, women who are farther along. Help us to go to them and to ask them for support and for help as we are committed to seeing these children, these blessings you've put in our home to learn to obey us because we want them, God, to obey you someday. And so we ask for your help and we're thankful for this text that helps us to see what it looks like. Help us to do that today. And I pray for great discussions, for open and honest conversations, and I pray that we would support one another in this endeavor. We pray this all in your son's name. Amen. Amen. Well, you're dismissed. Thank you.